Today we, today we launch into a new series uh, going through the Gospel of Mark, as Lorena mentioned, and I've entitled it Journey with Jesus, um, going through the Gospel, and in this account, uh, we are basically going to move through the life of Jesus, beginning with his ministry, all the way to Jerusalem, uh, his death and resurrection. And so this book, though, is the shortest of all four Gospels. And so it's kind of, a, I guess it's considered the, the quick book, as it were, because it moves from place to place, and it uses the word immediately, suddenly, and you go from place to place and place to place, and so it moves very rapidly. So how many type A's do we have here? How many type A's? Come on, how many type A's? Usually they're just like that, you know, I mean... Uh, quick, yeah, so you're going to love this book because it just keeps moving uh, really fast. Uh, th- those who are not type A's are going to want it to slow down. Um, I reminded the two boys that uh, they were bragging about how quick their dads were. And one boy said, my dad's so fast he can flip off the light switch in the bedroom and be in bed before it's dark. <laughs> and the other boy said, that's nothing. My dad works for the post office and he can clock out at 3.30 and be home at 3.00. Um, maybe a little question of ethics on the second one, um, and the first one too, a little bit of, uh, fabrication, but needless to say, it is a quick book, but nevertheless, it's just as impactful, uh, in what it does. What I want us to remember when we go to the gospels, we have to back up and remember what happened prior to the gospels. What happened prior to the Gospels where the prophets were giving messages of repentance, turning to God, God's people were in idolatry. And then for a period of 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament is called the silent years. They're called the silent years because there was no prophetic word from God. No prophetic word from God. And you had all these different rulers that came by. The Persians ruled for a while, then the Greeks, and then the Egyptians, and the Syrians, and the Maccabeans, and then the Roman period came along with Herod and Caesar. The Romans ruled with an iron fist. You never resisted Roman authority because if you did, it could be fatal. Or if you tried to flee, it was impossible. So the Romans were powerful people. You didn't mess with the Romans. Um, kind of like messing with Texas, I guess. Don't mess with Texas, right? Don't mess with the Romans. But each of the Gospels offers us a journey with Jesus. Matthew, the focus was written to the Jews. Their focus was that Jesus is the messianic king who is going to come and deliver his people He came to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. Mark is written to the Romans, a totally different audience. And they were Gentiles. And the focus is on Jesus as a suffering servant. Well, the Romans despised servants. They were into power. Therefore, we don't find a lot of Old Testament quotes in Mark because he's writing to a Gentile audience and it would not have the appeal that it would to the Jews. Luke was written to the Greeks. 
to focus that Jesus is the Son of Man who came in the power of the Holy Spirit to save sinners. John was written to the world. Jesus is the divine Son of God. He is fully God and fully man. But in Mark, as we see in the opening verses, there's no genealogy. There's nothing about the birth of Christ. Uh, those are omitted. Why? That's not important to the Romans. If you're, if you're a servant, what do we care about what your background is? So you see that kind of attitude that is being conveyed. The author of Mark is John Mark, who was one of the companions who traveled with Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts on the first missionary journey. However, what happened to John Mark? He turned back and he says, I need to go back home. He got kind of homesick, seasick, whatever, I don't know. He wanted to go back home, and that was not, did not sit well with Paul. But later, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.11 that Mark was useful to Paul in his ministry. So Mark had grown in his faith. This account, though, even though it's in Mark's name, he's actually writing on behalf of Peter. The events that we see here are what Peter experienced. And he is simply writing down Peter's experiences the Hebrew name for John means God's gift, and the Roman name Mark means polite or shining. So he is God's gift in polite and shining and giving us this account of Jesus. Augustine said, where Scripture speaks, God speaks. And so we want to look at this uh, this morning. Let's begin in verse 1. 400 silent years, and now we come to the beginning of a new era that is being ushered in. The prophets had talked about it for hundreds of years. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then he even goes back to the prophet. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So here we see at the very beginning, he talks about the gospel. When he uses the word beginning, we see it in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We see it in John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. Here, in the beginning, the gospel of Christ, a whole new dispensation. What the prophets have been talking about for years is now here, is what Mark is telling us. Mark is telling us that, but we have to remember this is a narrative, and in narrative writings, the characters in the story do not always have all the information that you and I have. 
we're being told this information, but the disciples and the characters are not. And so what we'll see as we go through the pages of Mark, we will see the disciples who never really come to understand that Jesus is the Son of God until, this is hard to imagine, after the resurrection. They never fully grasp that Jesus is the Son of God. Peter says it, but I don't know if he fully understands it. And a couple others say it, but they're not disciples. So they really don't come to that understanding. But here he says the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So there's two things we want to look at here this morning. And this is the preparation for the gospel. And in these two things, in preparing the community, the world for the gospel, here's what we find. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway of our God. That doesn't seem like the right slide. There we go. God is faithful to keep his word. This is the first thing we see in the preparation for the gospel. God is faithful to keep his word. The beginning of the gospel. The gospel is good news. Euangelion is the Greek word, which means good news. It was used in their culture over and over. It was a commonly used word for reports of victory on the battlefield. When the Philistines defeated the troops of Saul on Mount Gilboa, they sent messengers throughout the land to deliver the message that they had won, and that was good news. Within a decade of Jesus' birth, the birthday of Caesar Augustus was called good news. In the Greco-Roman world, however, the good news always appeared in the plural form, meaning one good news report after another. However, when this word is used in the New Testament... It's used in the singular, which means there is only one good news, one that trumps all the others, and that is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has come to save his people, to redeem his people, to give his life on the cross, to save us from our sin, and that's good news. Isaiah 61 says that the Lord anointed me to preach good news to the poor, this good news is now realized in the gospel of Mark in the coming of Jesus Christ to give his life on the cross. Jesus, he says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the word Jesus comes from the word Yehoshua or Joshua. It means Jesus saves. Christ is transliterated from the Greek word which means the anointed one. Christ is the one who saves. He is the anointed one of God. In Jesus, we have the deity, humanity, and atonement of the Lord. In Christ, we have the anointed of God, the Son of God, the Messiah. Mark loves this term, Son of God, and that's what he focuses on as he writes which emphasizes the nature and character of God. Bob Stein said the Son of God reveals Jesus' unique and unparalleled relationship with God. 
It communicates his pre-existence and his deity, not the fact that he was just born. He was pre-existent. He was God. He goes on to tell us in verse 2, it is written in Isaiah the prophet. This is also uh, a form that was used for legal documents. When people wanted to carry out legal documents and legal force, they would say, it is written. It is written down. The Old Testament records have been preserved and passed down from generation to generation. It is a permanent record that is fulfilled. Not one jot or one tittle will pass till all the law is fulfilled. Here's what it says in Isaiah. This is from Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness. Doesn't this look familiar? What's it say right here? I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Come straight out of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. It's also a reference to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 in Malachi. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He says, I will send my messenger. This is a present tense, timeless idea. It conveys a sense of commission, authority, responsibility, and the transmission of God's word to man to announce the arrival of the Messiah. And he says, I will send my messenger ahead of you. And this idea of being ahead of you is before your face. I'm going to set Jesus right before your face, right before your eyes, so you understand you have a visible witness and testimony through his words and his works that he is, in fact, the Messiah, the one that was prophesied about, that he would come and deliver his people from sin. He said, I will send my messenger. This messenger is an ambassador for Christ. He is the forerunner. You and I are ambassadors for Christ. Are we faithfully being sent out like John to be the ambassador for Christ for the gospel? Who in your life is on your prayer list that you are burdened to pray for their salvation because they're lost? And you wanting to be an ambassador for Christ to give them the light of truth so they don't die in their sin and go to an eternal hell are concerned about them and you say, I want to be an ambassador for Christ to them. God has called us to be ambassadors. We have the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Are you being an ambassador to your classmates at school who are lost? Undoubtedly, you have classmates that are involved in illegal drug use, bullying, things like that that are going on. Are you being an ambassador for them? What kind of home situation do they come from? More than likely, they come from a home that is void of the gospel. Are you being an ambassador for Christ? God has called us to do that. An ambassador is one who gets the guest chambers ready for when he comes. John is the forerunner of Christ. He is making the guest chamber available so that when Jesus comes, there'll be a reception of his message. You and I, in a sense, are the forerunners of Christ 
before his second coming. He's coming again, and we have been given the task to be the ambassador of the forerunner of Christ before his second coming, to announce to the world. Probably the closest we have come to understanding that idea is when we see a Billy Graham that God has brought to this world and has now taken to heaven, who proclaim faithfully the word of God and the gospel. And notice he says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will what? Prepare your way. You and I are called to prepare the way of God. He is the king who is to come. We are to make ready. The idea here is to clear the roads and make them passable. It is a command to be obeyed at once, but we are not clearing roads, so to speak. That's the language here, but the idea is this. You and I are to prepare the hearts and minds of people to be receptive to the gospel. And how do we do that? We do that by living our lives in such a way that the gospel is attractive to the lost world. In John's message, there would be no beating around the bush. There would be no watering down. There would be no timid preaching. He came with an urgency. He spoke from the heart to the heart. That was his message. And he says to make straight it is a command. When he says to make straight, it is an imperative command that is to be obeyed continuously. We are to continuously obey that command to make straight the way of the Lord. Maybe you have a neighbor. Maybe you have a family member. Maybe you have someone that you rub shoulders with in the marketplace that is lost. And they need you to be an ambassador to them. They don't even know it. But you know it. And God calls you to be the ambassador. He calls me to be the ambassador. This path that he's talking about is the hearts of the people. The second aspect that I see in these opening pages is that God is faithful not only to his word, but he is faithful to his messengers. He is faithful to his messengers. Faithful, we see this in the faithfulness of John. John is a faithful witness in preaching the word of God. His unswerving courage, his unwillingness to compromise, his unashamed commitment to do what God called him to do. He came with a message of compassion and brokenness. It came from the heart. God calls us to be faithful witnesses to his word. Let me just ask a couple questions. Do I demonstrate faithfulness to his word when my parents aren't around? Do I demonstrate faithfulness to his word when my peers ask me to do something that is contrary to God's word? Do I demonstrate faithfulness to his word when I'm around people who pay no attention to the things of God? Do I demonstrate faithfulness to speak up for God when I'm given an opportunity? Do I demonstrate faithfulness within the walls of my home, on the internet, in my speech, in how I speak to my spouse and my children, 
Do I demonstrate faithfulness there? God calls us to be faithful. We can learn from the example of John and his uncompromising message who was willing to give his life for the cause of the gospel. Remember, John was put in prison because he gave a message that Philip should not have, or Herod should not have, um, I've got it mixed up now, (laughs) should not have somebody's wife, and that it was wrong. And he was called to account, and he gave his head for that. He goes on to say in verse 4, So John came, faithfulness, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. When we confess our sins, first of all, a baptism of repentance is a change of mind. It is a deliberate turning from sin. It involves the heart, the will, as well as the mind. And when we do that, there's a change in conduct. I don't act the same way. I don't live like a pagan, a sinner. I live a changed, transformed life because repentance is a change of mind, of heart, of will. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you live like a sinner you might want to reconsider and examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Because it's a baptism of repentance that John was calling for. And then he talks about confessing their sins. When we confess our sins, we have an admission of wrong by the sinner. We come out of denial about our addiction. We come out of denial about our hurts, our habits, and hang-ups. And we confess disobedience to the revealed will of God. You see, sin is not just people who do bad things. It's people with bad hearts. But I'm so thankful that God is willing to forgive. He goes on to tell us, confessing their sins, they were baptized. And the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin, the sin is canceled. It's erased. The slate is wiped clean. I'm no longer guilty. He has replaced the bad heart with a good heart. And now I want to honor the Lord in my life. I'm reminded of the song that Mercy Me sings, Flawless. He talks about there's got to be more than going back and forth from doing right to doing wrong. Because we're taught that's who we are. He says, come on, get in line right behind me. You along with everybody, thinking there's worth in what you do. Then like a hero takes the stage. We're on the edge of our seats saying it's too late. Well, let me introduce you to amazing grace. No matter the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars, still the truth is, The cross has made, the cross has made you flawless. 
No matter the hurt or how deep the wound is, no matter the pain, still the truth is the cross has made, the cross has made you flawless. That's the message of the gospel. No matter how deep the stain of sin, God is willing to move the slate clean. And when we get involved in repentance and confession, that doesn't just happen at conversion. It happens throughout our life. Let me give you a living illustration. We were gone in the month of August. God had put something on my heart that I needed to do. I, and I, I've shared this in my CR group, so they already, have already heard this story. But I want to share it with you. Because this is how the Holy Spirit should be working in our lives. I had something that happened over 20 years ago. And it was a hurt in my life. And I did not realize until I started doing a moral inventory that I had not taken care of it. It's like, whoa. And the, and the reason I knew I hadn't taken care of it is because this uh, gentleman was supposed to be in my wedding. And at the last, not very last minute, but late in the game, he backed out and, in my opinion, gave no good reason. And I was hurt. But I never talked to him about it. And I didn't realize that I kind of put it away. You know how I said there's layers to our lives? There's layers to all of our lives. And so it just kind of got pushed back in the closet until recent months. And as I was reflecting and doing my moral inventory about hurts in my life, it came to the surface that I had two books that belonged to this man who happens to be a pastor today. <laughs> and, and actually, he was a pastor then. Um, and I felt like I needed to return them, so I was going to mail them, going to mail them, going to mail them. And I never got them mailed, never got them mailed. And I'm like, well, I'm going back to Ohio. I would like to give them to him personally. I think that would be better. And so I took them with me. And um, as we were there, uh, the week kept getting later. And I was like, I got to get out there. And so I drove out. My wife was with me. We drove out uh, to the parsonage, which was next door to the church. He had never lived. I didn't know if he lived there or not. I knew that was the parsonage. I pulled in. It didn't look like somebody was there. I looked over to the church. There were two vehicles there. I said, let's go over to the church. So I went over to the church, and I walked inside, and these couple young girls came out, and they introduced themselves, and, and I told them who I was. My name is Roy. I'm an and she said, well, I'm his daughter. I'm getting married tomorrow. I was like, great, he's in town. <laughs> so uh, I said, well, I want to get in touch with your dad. Um, I said, do you have a cell phone number? Um, where does he live? He said, well, he lives about a mile down the road, and I'm pretty sure he'd be home. I said, great, um, I'll stop by. And so... I left there, pulled in his driveway. This young man's getting out of a pickup truck. I'm his son. Now I'm meeting the whole family. I'd never met his kids before. And I said, well, I'm here to talk to your dad. I'm an old friend of your dad's. 
And so he took me in the house. I go in the house, and he comes around the corner, and of course he knows who I am right away, and we start chatting. By the way, I've got the books in a Walmart bag. I'm just standing there, we're talking, and this is the power of the Holy Spirit. I had said nothing about the books, the wedding, nothing. And he said, I need to ask you for forgiveness. And I was like, okay. I was blown away. He said, you had asked me to be in your wedding. And he said, there were numerous times I wanted to call you. And I just never got it done. And I said, that's actually why I'm here. I said, I have something that belongs to you. And I said, I have to let you know that I kept those, I believe, because of the hurt. I could have just given them back and not said all that, but that's not honest confession. And I wanted to give them back to him. And I said, as a matter of fact, my name's probably even stamped inside one of the books. (laughs) That's honest confession. That's what God wants in our lives. We can come to church and we can play the parts and we can put everything on and look good. And underneath that layer or another layer or another layer, there's things in our life that hinder us from being the ambassador that God wants us to be. And we have to humble ourselves. And this is what I see in John. John is not only a faithful servant of the Lord, But the next thing we see is his humility. Look in verses 6 to 8. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. That was the job of a slave. He said, I am so unworthy to even be a slave. To do the task of a slave. Wow. He did not feel very big. And that's why it says in John, he must increase and I must decrease. That was John's attitude, that Christ would increase and that he would decrease. More powerful than I, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I'm giving you the external. I'm giving you the symbol, but he's going to give you the reality, the internal power to be a changed person. John was humble in his dress, camel's hair, a big long robe, a leather belt, someplace to tuck his cell phone. No, just kidding. A big leather belt to hold his robe together. He was humble in his dwelling in the desert. And by the way, the desert was the place. Say, why would you go to the desert? That's a barren place. There's nobody out there. But yet the people were going out to hear him. Where did Jesus speak to his people when they came out of Egyptian bondage? 
in the wilderness. Mount Sinai. Go back to the wilderness. Maybe the people remember where I spoke to them, the things I did for them in the wilderness. Oh, you're going to be baptized in the Jordan? What river did they cross to get into the promised land? All these things to bring back to mind the faithfulness of God. John was humble in his diet. He ate locusts and honey. At least they were high in protein. But he did that in obedience to Leviticus chapter 11, verse 22. There's the verse, of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. What a diet. <laughs> but he was doing it in obedience to the Lord, and probably that's all there was. But here's the question. Am I demonstrating faithfulness to God? Are there things that I need to take care of in my life so that I can be the ambassador for Christ? Would we see more people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus if we were the faithful ambassadors that God called us to be? Would there be more stirring of God's spirit among his people and in his church? Let's bow together for a word of prayer. I would just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And while you do, I want you to contemplate the power of the gospel. It has come to us in the person of Christ. You can try to ignore him, but you've heard the message. And some of you have heard it again and again, but that doesn't mean you've embraced it. Even if you've grown up in a Christian home, it does not mean you've embraced the gospel. Your mom and dad can be believers, and you can be pagan. You can be lost. You can go through the motions, and perhaps if mom and dad didn't make you come to church, you might not come to church. I don't know where your heart is. But if you want to know where your heart is, what are you doing with your time and your body and your mind? That will tell you where your heart is. God has called us in this journey with Jesus to be ambassadors for Christ. He's called us to share the truth. He's called us to live out the truth. Maybe as you do a moral inventory of your life, maybe the Holy Spirit is saying something to you. Hey, what about this? What about this? If someone saw your search history on the internet, would it embarrass you? Or have you already erased it? What would your peers say about your faith? That you are a faithful believer or you're a hypocrite? Souls are at stake. John recognized that souls were at stake for the cause of the gospel. We know that we live in desperate times. We need to be looking for ways 
opportunities to get into the hearts and minds of people to share the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation. If you have not personally responded to the gospel, when will you do that? Is the Spirit of God tugging on your heart that you need to get rid of the facade, you need to humble yourself and say, I need to humble myself before God? It doesn't matter how long you've been in church. It doesn't matter how many Bibles you've carried or read. Do you know the author personally? Do you know him? Because we will give an account one day. We're either being an enhancement to advance the gospel or we're being a hindrance and blocking it. Which one are you? If you have questions, if we can pray with you, please see me after the service. We'd be glad to pray with you about a particular need in your life. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is Bethesda M. B.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy.org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.